0: Part Two of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. As the enraptured Ichabod fancied all this, and as he rolled his great green eyes over the fat meadowlands, the rich fields of wheat, of rye, of buckwheat, and Indian corn, and the orchards burdened with ruddy fruit which surrounded the warm tenement of Van Tassel, his heart yearned after the damsel who was to inherit these domains and his imagination expanded with the idea how they might be readily turned into cash and the money invested in immense tracts of wild land and shingle palaces in the wilderness nay his busy fancy already realized his hopes and presented to him the blooming katrina with a whole family of children mounted on the top of a wagon loaded with household trumpery with pots and kettles dangling beneath, and he beheld himself bestride a pacing mare with the colt at her heels setting out for Kentucky, Tennessee, or the Lord knows where. When he entered the house the conquest of his heart was complete. It was one of those spacious farmhouses, with high-ridged but lowly sloping roofs, built in the style handed down from the first Dutch settlers, the low projecting eaves forming a piazza along the front, capable of being closed up in bad weather. Under this were hung flails, harnesses, various utensils of husbandry, and nets for fishing in the neighboring river. Benches were built along the sides for summer use, and a great spinning-wheel at one end and a churn at the other showed the various uses to which this important porch might be devoted. From this piazza the wandering Ichabod entered the hall, which formed the center of the mansion and the place of usual residence. Here rows of resplendent pewter ranged on a long dresser dazzled his eyes. In one corner stood a huge bag of wool, ready to be spun in another, a quantity of linsey-woolsey, just from the loom. Ears of Indian corn and strings of dried apples and peaches hung in gay festoons along the walls, mingled with the gaud of red peppers, and a door left ajar gave him a peep into the best parlor, where the claw-footed chairs and dark mahogany tables shone like mirrors. Andirons, with their accompanying shovel and tongs, glistened from their covert of asparagus tops mock oranges and conch shells decorated the mantelpiece strings of various colored bird's eggs were suspended above it a great ostrich egg was hung from the center of the room and a corner cupboard knowingly left open displayed immense treasures of old silver and well-mended china from the moment ichabod laid his eyes upon these regions of delight the peace of his mind was at an end and his only study was how to gain the affections of the peerless daughter of von Tassel. In this enterprise, however, he had more real difficulties than generally fell to the lot of a knight-errant of yore, who seldom had anything but giants, enchanters, fiery dragons, and such-like easily conquered adversaries to contend with, and had to make his way merely through gates of iron and brass, and walls of adamant to the castle keep where the lady of his heart was confined all which he achieved as easily as a man could carve his way to the centre of a christmas pie and then the lady gave him her hand as a matter of course ichabod on the contrary had to win his way to the heart of a country coquette beset with a labyrinth of whims and caprices which were for ever presenting new difficulties and impediments and he had to encounter a host of fearful adversaries of real flesh and blood the numerous rustic admirers who beset every portal to her heart keeping a watchful and angry eye upon each other but ready to fly out in the common cause against any new competitor among these the most formidable was a burly roaring roistering blade of the name of abraham or according to the dutch abbreviation Bram von brunt the hero of the country round which rang with his feats of strength and hardihood he was broad-shouldered and double-jointed with short curly black hair and a bluff but not unpleasant countenance having a mingled air of fun and arrogance from his herculean frame and great powers of limb he had received the nickname of brahm bones by which he was universally known he was famed for great knowledge and skill in horsemanship, being as dexterous on horseback as a tartar. He was foremost at all races and cock-fights, and, with the ascendancy which bodily strength always acquires in rustic life, was the umpire in all disputes, setting his hat on one side and giving his decisions with an air and tone that admitted of no gainsay or appeal he was always ready for a fight or a frolic but had more mischief than ill will in his composition and with all his overbearing roughness there was a strong dash of waggish good-humour at bottom he had three or four boon companions who regarded him as their model and at the head of whom he scoured the country attending every scene of feud or merriment for miles round in cold weather he was distinguished by a fur cap surmounted with a flaunting foxtail, and when the folks at a country gathering descried this well-known crest at a distance, whisking about among a squad of hard riders, they always stood by for a squall. Sometimes his crew would be heard dashing along past the farmhouses at midnight with whoop and halloo, like a troop of Don Cossacks, and the old dames, startled out of their sleep, would listen for a moment till the hurry scurry had clattered by and then exclaim ay there goes brom bones and his gang the neighbors looked upon him with a mixture of awe admiration and goodwill and when any madcap prank or rustic brawl occurred in the vicinity always shook their heads and warranted brom bones was at the bottom of it this rantipole hero had for some time singled out the blooming katrina for the object of his uncouth gallantries and though his amorous toyings were something like the gentle caresses and endearments of a bear yet it was whispered that she did not altogether discourage his hopes certain it is his advances were signals for rival candidates to retire who felt no inclination to cross a lion in his amours insomuch that when his horse was seen tied to von Tussel's paling on a sunday night a sure sign that his master was courting or as it is termed sparking within all other suitors passed by in despair and carried the war into other quarters such was the formidable rival with whom ichabod crane had to contend and considering all things a stouter man than he would have shrunk from the competition and a wiser man would have despaired he had however a happy mixture of pliability and perseverance in his nature he was in form and spirit like a supplejack yielding but tough though he bent he never broke and though he bowed beneath the slightest pressure yet the moment it was away jerk he was as erect, and carried his head as high as ever. To have taken the field openly against his rival would have been madness, for he was not a man to be thwarted in his amours any more than that stormy lover Achilles. Ichabod, therefore, made his advances in a quiet and gentle insinuating manner. Under cover of his character of singing-master, he made frequent visits to the farmhouse, not that he had anything to apprehend from the meddlesome interference of parents which is so often a stumbling-block in the path of lovers Bolt von Tussel was an easy indulgent soul he loved his daughter better even than his pipe and like a reasonable man and an excellent father let her have her way in everything his notable little wife too had enough to do to attend to her housekeeping and manage her poultry for, as she sagely observed, ducks and geese are foolish things and must be looked after, but girls can take care of themselves. Thus, while the busy dame bustled about the house or plied her spinning wheel at one end of the piazza, honest Balt would sit smoking his evening pipe at the other, watching the achievements of a little wooden warrior who, armed with a sword in each hand, was most valiantly fighting the wind on the pinnacle of the barn. In the meantime, ichabod would carry on his suit with the daughter by the side of the spring under the great elm or sauntering along in the twilight that hour so favourable to the lover's eloquence i profess not to know how women's hearts are wooed and won to me they have always been matters of riddle and admiration some seem to have but one vulnerable point or door of access while others have a thousand avenues and may be captured in a thousand different ways it is a great triumph of skill to gain the former but a still greater proof of generalship to maintain possession of the latter for man must battle for his fortress at every door and window he who wins a thousand common hearts is therefore entitled to some renown but he who keeps undisputed sway over the heart of a coquette is indeed a hero. Certain it is, this was not the case with the redoubtable Brom Bones, and from the moment Ichabod Crane made his advances, the interests of the farmer evidently declined. His horse was no longer seen tied to the palings on Sunday nights, and a deadly feud gradually arose between him and the preceptor of Sleepy Hollow brahm who had a degree of rough chivalry in his nature would fain have carried matters to open warfare and have settled their pretensions to the lady according to the mode of those most concise and simple reasoners the knight-errant of yore by single combat but ichabod was too conscious of the superior might of his adversary to enter the lists against him he had overheard a boast of bones that he would double the schoolmaster up and lay him on a shelf of his own schoolhouse and he was too wary to give him an opportunity there was something extremely provoking in this obstinately pacific system it left brahm no alternative but to draw upon the funds of rustic waggery in his disposition and to play off boorish practical jokes upon his rival ichabod became the object of whimsical persecution to bones and his gang of rough riders they harried his hitherto peaceful domains smoked out his singing-school by stopping up the chimney broke into the schoolhouse at night in spite of its formidable fastenings of wife and window-stakes and turned everything topsy-turvy so that the poor schoolmaster began to think all the witches in the country held their meetings there but what was still more annoying Brahm took all opportunities of turning him into ridicule in presence of his mistress and had a scoundrel dog whom he taught to whine in the most ludicrous manner and introduced as a rival of ichabod's to instruct her in psalmody in this way matters went on for some time without producing any material effect on the relative situations of the contending powers on a fine autumnal afternoon ichabod in a pensive mood sat enthroned on the lofty stool from whence he usually watched all the concerns of his little literary realm in his hand he swayed a ferule that sceptre of despotic power the birch of justice reposed on three nails behind the throne a constant terror to evil-doers While on the desk before him might be seen sundry contraband articles and prohibited weapons, detected upon the persons of idle urchins, such as half munched apples, pop guns, whirligigs, fly cages, and whole legions of rampant little paper gamecocks. Apparently, there had been some appalling act of justice recently inflicted, for his scholars were all busily intent upon their books or slyly whispering behind them with one eye kept upon the master, and a kind of buzzing stillness reigned throughout the schoolroom. It was suddenly interrupted by the appearance of a negro in towcloth jacket and trousers, a round-crowned fragment of a hat, like the cap of mercury, and mounted on the back of a ragged, wild, half-broken coat, which he managed with a rope by way of halter, He came clattering up to the school door with an invitation to Ichabod to attend a merry-making or quilting frolic to be held that evening at Meinheer von Tassel's, and having delivered his message with that air of importance and effort at fine language which a negro is apt to display on petty embassies of the kind, he dashed over the brook and was seen scampering away up the hollow, full of the importance and hurry of the mission." All was now bustle and hubbub in the late quiet schoolroom. The scholars were hurried through their lessons without stopping at trifles. Those who were nimble skipped over half with impunity, and those who were tardy had a smart application now and then in the rear to quicken their speed or help them over a tall word. Books were flung aside without being put away on the shelves. Ink stands were overturned, inches thrown down, and the whole school was turned loose an hour before the usual time, bursting forth like a legion of young imps, yelping and racketing about the green in joy at their early emancipation. The gallant Ichabod, now spent at least an extra half-hour at his toilet, brushing and furbishing up his best and indeed only suit of rustic black, and arranging his locks by a bit of broken looking-glass that hung up in the schoolhouse. That he might make his appearance before his mistress in the true style of a cavalier, he borrowed a horse from the farmer with whom he was domiciled, a choleric old Dutchman of the name of Hans von Ripper, and thus gallantly mounted, issued forth like a knight-errant in quest of adventures. But it is meet, I should, in the true spirit of romantic story, give some account of the looks and equipments of my hero and his steed the animal he bestrode was a broken-down plough-horse that had outlived almost everything but its viciousness he was gaunt and shagged with a yew neck and a head like a hammer his rusty mane and tail were tangled and knotted with burrs one eye had lost its pupil and was glaring and spectral but the other Had a gleam of a genuine devil in it still he must have had fire and metal in his day if we may judge from the name he bore of gunpowder he had in fact been a favorite steed of his masters the choleric von ripper who was a famous rider and had infused very probably some of his own spirit into the animal for old and broken down as he looked there was more of the lurking devil in him than in any young filly in the country ichabod was a suitable figure for such a steed he rode with short stirrups which brought his knees nearly up to the pommel of the saddle his sharp elbows stuck out like grasshoppers he carried his whip perpendicularly in his hand like a scepter and as his horse jogged on the motion of his arms was not unlike the flapping of a pair of wings A small wool hat rested on the top of his nose, for so his scanty strip of forehead might be called, and the skirts of his black coat fluttered out almost to the horse's tail. Such was the appearance of Ichabod and his steed as they shambled out of the gate of Hans von Ripper, and it was altogether such an apparition as is seldom to be met with in broad daylight. It was, as I have said, a fine autumnal day. The sky was clear and serene, and nature wore that rich and golden livery which we always associate with the idea of abundance. The forests had put on their sober brown and yellow, while some trees, of the tenderer kind, had been nipped by the frost with brilliant dyes of orange, purple, and scarlet. Streaming files of wild ducks began to make their appearance high in the air, the bark of the squirrel might be heard from the groves of beech and hickory nuts and the pensive whistle of the quail at intervals from the neighboring stubble field the small birds were taking their farewell banquets in the fullness of their revelry they fluttered tripping and frolicking from bush to bush and tree to tree capricious from the very profusion and variety around them there was the honest cock robin the favorite game of stripling sportsmen with its loud querulous note, and the twittering blackbirds flying in sable clouds, and the golden-winged woodpecker with his crimson crest, his broad black garget and splendid plumage, and the cedar-bird with its red-tipped wings and yellow-tipped tail and its little montiero cap of feathers, and the blue-jay, that noisy coxcomb, in his gay light blue coat and white underclothes, screaming and chattering nodding and bobbing and bowing and pretending to be on good terms with every songster of the grove as ichabod jogged slowly on his way his eye ever open to every symptom of culinary abundance ranged with delight over the treasures of jolly autumn on all sides he beheld vast store of apples some hanging in oppressive opulence on the trees Some gathered into baskets and barrels for the market, others heaped up in rich piles for the cider-press. Farther on he beheld great fields of Indian corn, with its golden ears peeping from their leafy coverts, and holding out the promise of cakes and hasty puddings, and the yellow pumpkins lying beneath them turning up their fair round bellies to the sun, and giving ample prospects of the most luxurious of pies, and anon he passed the fragrant buckwheat fields breathing the odor of the beehive and as he beheld them soft anticipations stole over his mind of dainty slapjacks well buttered and garnished with honey or treacle by the delicate little dimpled hand of katrina von Tussel. thus feeding his mind with many sweet thoughts and sugared suppositions he journeyed along the sides of a range of hills, which look out upon some of the goodliest scenes of the mighty Hudson. The sun gradually wheeled his broad disk down in the west. The wide bosom of the Tappan Zee lay motionless and glassy, excepting that here and there a gentle undulation waved and prolonged the blue shadow of the distant mountain. A few amber clouds floated in the sky, without a breath of air to move them the horizon was of a fine golden tint changing gradually into a pure apple green and from that into the deep blue of the mid-heaven a slanting ray lingered on the woody crests of the precipices that overhung some parts of the river giving greater depth to the dark gray and purple of their rocky sides a sloop was loitering in the distance dropping slowly down with the tide her sail hanging uselessly against the mast and as the reflection of the sky gleamed along the still water it seemed as if the vessel was suspended in the air it was toward evening that ichabod arrived at the castle of the Hirvan Van which he found thronged with the pride and flower of the adjacent country old farmers a sparse leathern-faced race in homespun coats and breeches Blue stockings, huge shoes, and magnificent pewter buckles. Their brisk, withered little dames in close crimped caps, long waisted short gowns, homespun petticoats with scissors and pincushions and gay calico pockets hanging on the outside. Buxom lasses, almost as antiquated as their mothers, excepting where a straw hat, a fine ribbon, or perhaps a white frock, gave symptoms of city innovation. The sons, in short, square-skirted coats, with rows of stupendous brass buttons, and their hair generally queued in the fashion of the times, especially if they could procure an eel-skin for the purpose, it being esteemed throughout the country as a potent nourisher and strengthener of the hair. Brom Bones, however, was the hero of the scene, having come to the gathering on his favorite steed Daredevil, a creature like himself, full of metal and mischief, and which no one but himself could manage. He was, in fact, noted for preferring vicious animals, given to all kinds of tricks which kept the rider in constant risk of his neck, for he held a tractable, well-broken horse as unworthy of a lad of spirit." fain would i pause to dwell upon the world of charms that burst upon the enraptured gaze of my hero as he entered the state parlor of von tussle's mansion not those of the bevy of buxom lasses with their luxurious display of red and white but the ample charms of a genuine dutch country tea-table in the sumptuous time of autumn such heaped-up platters of cakes of various and almost indescribable kinds known only to experienced dutch housewives there was the doughty doughnut the tender ole koek and the crisp and crumbling cruller sweet cakes and short cakes ginger cakes and honey cakes and the whole family of cakes and then there were apple-pies and peach-pies and pumpkin-pies besides slices of ham and smoked beef and moreover delectable dishes of preserved plums and peaches and pears and quinces not to mention boiled shod and roasted chickens together with bowls of milk and cream all mingled higgily-piggily pretty much as i have enumerated them with the motherly teapot sending up its clouds of vapor from the midst heaven bless the mark i want breath and time to discuss this banquet as it deserves and am too eager to get on with my story happily Ichabod crane was not in so great a hurry as his historian but did ample justice to every dainty he was a kind and thankful creature whose heart dilated in proportion as his skin was filled with good cheer, and whose spirit rose with eating, as some men's do with drink. He could not help, too, rolling his large eyes round him as he ate, and chuckling with the possibility that he might one day be lord of all this scene of almost unimaginable luxury and splendor. Then he thought, how soon he'd turn his back upon the old schoolhouse snap his fingers in the face of hans von ripper and every other niggardly patron and kick any itinerant pedagogue out of doors that should dare to call him a comrade old Baltus von Tussel moved about among his guests with a face dilated with content and good-humor round and jolly as the harvest moon his hospitable attentions were brief but expressive being confined to a shake of the hand a slap on the shoulder a loud laugh and a pressing invitation to fall to and help themselves and now the sound of the music from the common room or hall summoned to the dance the musician was an old gray-headed negro who had been the itinerant orchestra of the neighborhood for more than half a century his instrument was as old and battered as himself. The greater part of the time he scraped on two or three strings, accompanying every movement of the bow with a motion of the head, bowing almost to the ground, and stamping with his foot whenever a fresh couple were to start. End of part two.